Hey, Outcomes Rocket listeners, thanks for tuning into the podcast again. Tired of your business's healthcare costs unpredictably increasing every year? Healthcare costs are typically a business's second or third line item expense. And if you're like most employers, it's an expense that's growing faster than your revenue. Luckily for employers, Novetta Health has the solution. Novetta Health is a full-service healthcare consulting firm with proven strategies to lower your healthcare costs by up to 30% or more. They operate on a fee-for-service model and never mark up any of their medical or pharmaceutical claims. None of your employees have to leave their doctor or pharmacist either. Their health captive and pharmacy benefit manager are the most cost-effective and transparent solutions in the whole country. What they do is not magic, it's just honest. So if you're tired of overspending on health insurance and want to learn more, visit outcomesrocket.health save for a free spend analysis to see how you too could save by switching to Novetta Health. That's outcomesrocket.health save for your free spend analysis. Outcomesrocket.health save. And welcome back to the podcast. Truly appreciate you tuning in again. Today, I have a very special guest. His name is Alex Lazadovich. He is the Senior Director of Data Science at Aetna. Alexander is responsible for overall predictive analytics solution in healthcare fraud initiative at Aetna. In addition to healthcare industry experience, he has extensive experience in various data analytic projects ranging from banking, credit and insurance industry to diagnostics and computer security applications. He's co-edited a book on cybersecurity threats, written eight book chapters, and published over 50 research articles, which recited more than 3,000 times. He holds a PhD degree in data mining, machine learning from Temple University, and he has been frequently giving presentations on these topics of predictive analytics, data mining conferences in the past. So it's a true pleasure to have Alex on the podcast, given that today we're really spending a lot of time in machine learning and predictive analytics for healthcare. So I'm excited to dive into uh, his expertise and some of his thoughts on these topics in healthcare. So Alex, welcome. Thank you for having me, Saul. It's really my pleasure to be here and talk to you on the Outcomes Rocket podcast. I think uh, the introduction was great. Thank you very much. All righty. No, that's great, Alex. So what is it that got you into healthcare? I mean, you could have landed in a lot of places and you dabbled in, in, in some, but what is it that ultimately got you interested in healthcare? So actually, my passion as a kid was always math and computers. However, my mom always wanted me to be a doctor. So <laughs> when I came to U.S. Nice. to pursue my PhD degree, I started to study machine learning data science. And after spending several years across several industries, as you mentioned, I settled actually for healthcare, which was a perfect fit between what my mom wanted and actually what <laughs> my aspirations. So actually, joking aside, I chose actually healthcare because I honestly believe that there are so many opportunities, how big data analytics, something that I'm good at, could help our broken healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Decisions in healthcare industry today, whether these are doctor decisions or whether this is decisions made within healthcare payers or healthcare insurance companies, were mostly coming from the expert knowledge. And I believe that data has not been used so much historically, but it can discover important patterns and it can improve the overall health. That's basically why I'm in healthcare. Love it. Love it. Yeah, it's a great tool. I feel like we're, learn we're learning more and leveraging it more. What would you say for the health leaders listening to this podcast today? What is that hot topic that needs to be on their mind as it relates to data and machine learning? And how are you approaching it? So 
I believe the, definitely the hot topic for the leaders today is actually our overall healthcare system. If you look at this historically, in 1960s, we probably spent 2 to 4% of GDP on the healthcare and average healthcare spending per person was $150. Today, we are spending, actually, United States is spending more than $3.5 trillion on an annual basis on healthcare, which is 18% of GDP. And this actually, this is enormous increase over just a period of 40 to 50 years. And US actually spends four times more money on healthcare than any other country in the world. And at the same time, according to the Institute of Medicine, one third of this money is wasted. Our population is becoming older and sicker. 60% of the population has at least one chronic condition, and almost 90% of the cost uh, actually is coming from treating those individuals with chronic conditions. So despite all this spending, U.S. is still ranked the last in the healthcare quality among 34 well-developed countries. And this is simply unsustainable, in my opinion. Our healthcare system is simply reaching a break point, breaking point. This is actually the fact that I believe that every medical leader should have in their mind. And actually, they should think how we can do and what we can do to fix this broken healthcare system. So I believe that one of the major problems in our healthcare system is that we have defensive medicine and at the same time, reactive medicine. Mm -hmm. I believe even Benjamin Franklin mentioned that ounce of prevention is worth like a pound of cure. And we need definitely to move towards that preventive healthcare and adopt more holistic view of what actually health is. And this is actually by, according to World Health Organization, health is defined as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being, and not just the absence of disease or infirmity. So if we adopt this definition, actually healthcare actually becomes what happens between doctor's visit and not merely what is in the doctor's office or in the clinics. So basically it's far more important where do you live and how do you live your life then actually what kind of healthcare is provided to you. So that's, I believe, that's where we need to go as a healthcare society. And I believe that's basically what we need to do. Hmm. So in my opinion, big data analytics will play a significant role there because I honestly believe that using the data, using data-driven and evidence-based approach would definitely help our healthcare system. Yeah, no, very insightful, Alex. And, and yeah, some of the stats you've mentioned, 3.5 trillion, third of the yeah. money is wasted, last out of 34, defensive. And I love your quote overall, like, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of care. That definitely resonates. And it's true, right? I mean, we're definitely very defensive in how we do things. Would love to hear a story from you of, of how you guys are, are, are working to use whatever this thoughtful approach in making better results for populations. So Aetna, and actually right now Aetna with CVS, <laughs> is actually to try to follow this main idea of preventative healthcare and focus heavily on our members and how to best engage with them. Healthcare is becoming increasingly customer focused and basically we are trying to leave providers and payers with a challenge on leverage this big uh, data to personalize care. So basically what we need to do is not only to do preventative care, but also to personalize the care to our members because that's what it is. We cannot assume that the, we have healthcare which is the same for everyone. The mm-hmm. needs from people are different. And emergence of these big tech players like Amazon, JP Morgan, Google, Microsoft in healthcare space is just basically another evidence that there are actually customer needs that are not met and there is a big opportunity there. Customer in healthcare space were neglected for so long and I believe this is finally time to change that. 
the merger between CVS and Aetna actually allows us to actually to try to put the members on a central place and we can try to basically help them uh, live healthier life. That's what we're trying to do. So since I mentioned that, I would like to actually mention two main, uh, two main initiatives that Aetna Analytics Organization has. Aetna mm-hmm. Analytics Organization is part of the actually centralized analytics organization. We are providing support for entire Aetna. And our two actually main initiatives are actually, as I mentioned, how to better engage with our members, mm-hmm. improve their health and satisfaction, but also how to improve the provider quality of care by providing personalized care through precision medicine, also improving provider efficiency, and also reducing the healthcare broad-based abuse. We are trying to do this by moving to uh, value-based care through joint ventures we have with selected healthcare providers in our network. If you're okay, I can talk a little bit more about actually how we're addressing the healthcare fraud-based abuse as one example, what we're trying to do. Sure, let's and do how, it. Okay, so we actually started the project maybe like a three years ago. Before that, Aetna was using a vendor to address healthcare fraud-based abuse, and they were not happy with the performance, they were not happy with the price, of course. <laughs> and uh, we actually jumped on this opportunity because we believe that big data analytics could really help us quickly and accurately identify those fraudulent providers. I mentioned earlier that the U.S. spends like $3.5 trillion every year. And nobody actually knows how much of this money is embezzled due to fraud-based and abuse. But according to some statistics from FBI and some industry payers, between 3 and 7% of overall spending is actually lost due to fraud-based and abuse. And this is a significant amount of money. If you convert this, this is between $100 billion and $350 billion per year. This is a huge money, and actually we're losing a lot of money because of that. And as you know, fraud is happening every day. I'm receiving emails on a daily basis about different fraud schemes. And actually mm-hmm. just a year ago, we had an example that of a fraud case that was more than $1 billion. So it's not uncommon anymore to see that actually these large fraud cases are happening. And uh, it's actually even worse if you consider the crisis that we have a national opioid crisis and many players see this as an opportunity to make quick money so many people perceive healthcare fraud as a lucrative uh, the business it's so lucrative that actually even some criminals or drug dealers are switching to dealing with healthcare fraud (laughs) because money is much better work is safer and the penalties are much lighter you will not be killed for doing healthcare fraud, right? Wow. <laughs> and very often, actually, Medicare and Medicaid detectives and investigators, actually, when they are making arrests, they are finding us files of weapons when they are arresting these kind of drug dealers. Is that so right? So this is really this is really amazing what's happening and how much money we are losing there. <laughs> so Alex, quick question yes. for you then. So with the types of fraud, I mean, what exactly is happening? Are people what kind of fraud is it? Is it Medicaid fraud? Is it Medicare fraud? Is it insurance fraud? All of the above? All of the above and more. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. <laughs> so basically, fraud. However, can they can get from, it. <laughs> fraud actually can range from many different uh, initiatives. And actually, fraud is actually defined as intentional deception of the system, which is basically in order to prove that some healthcare providers or doctors are doing fraud, we have to prove that uh, intent. And mm-hmm. that's not the easy thing to do because you have to look historically what these providers are trying to do and trying to establish the patterns through data and then to prove something is fraud. Based in abuse is somewhere in the middle so between from fraud to like a normal behavior. So basically, based in abuse could be counted as improper actions, trying to bend the rules, 
doing some inefficiency or just simply unintentional incorrect payments of mm -hmm. the claims. So all of this kind of belongs to overall waste that we have in healthcare fraud. So when we started the project, actually our initial focus was mostly fraud. And actually at that time we had a big Hadoop infrastructure. We were trying to collect all the data mostly around medical claims, how we pay our claims, what we pay the doctors, what kind of procedures they are doing. We actually had a business partner, which was Special Investigation Unit. These are people who are actually doing investigation of all potential leads and suspicious healthcare providers. And actually, as of one of the first steps, we actually created a suite of visualization tools that can help them doing that investigation much faster and more efficient. That's great. So... On top of that, we actually had to run some analytics, of course, because <laughs> that's the whole hope of actually applying big data analytics in, in healthcare fraud detection. And how we approached this, we actually had uh, three major work streams. We tried to actually first address the low-hanging fraud, some fraud schemes that SAU or a special investigation unit investigators already familiar with. And we try to do this kind of quick coding of these rules. We call those business rules. And these rules actually are defining exact behavior that they are familiar with. However, very often providers, when they figure out they are detected on, they are kind of suspicious, they try to change these rules. And for this kind of behavior, we are trying to apply or actually use some kind of machine learning to detect these kind of deviations of this kind of known behavior. Yeah, And very often you don't know about some schemes because these fraud schemes are developing pretty quickly. And in order to address some of these schemes, we, are tried, we actually tried some of anomaly detection techniques in which we are trying to detect all deviations from the normal or known behavior. That's how we try to actually structure analytics that we were running for the fraud detection. And so far, so far, the actual results were pretty good. In the first year, we were able to save around $20 million dollars in the second year, it was like 40, and in the, in the final year, 30 LSE, it was $82 million. So actually, we were pretty able to almost double this every year. Man. And we are, we are not sure how much we'll be able to continue that path, but <laughs> we'll see. That's amazing. I mean, those are some serious numbers. Yes, these are serious numbers. And of course, we, are, we still believe there is much more to detect. And right now, we are actually planning to expand more into the waste and abuse schemes, which actually we don't need to prove exact intent from the providers, and also to put more focus on the prepay than actually postpay. What typically happens in a fraud investigation, you have to actually analyze historical behavior of provider. Mm -hmm. You have to request some medical records in order to show that actually whatever they submit for claims and whatever is in the medical record does not match. And actually, then only you can uh, actually flag that provider for fraud and start denying those claims. In order to actually to minimize that investigation time, we are trying to do everything in a prepay when we can do a quick review and everything is done in prepay instead of just waiting for six months to do all this investigation, we can do this in a matter of few days. So that's basically what we're trying to do. And we believe that could further actually increase our savings. Fascinating. Well, it's a great thing that you guys are, are working on this project, Alex, and as the technology is there to uh, leverage to make things better, I think it's important to, to realize, listeners, that, hey, you know, they're, they're, it's being leveraged for bad reasons, too. And so if you don't True. stay ahead of it, <laughs> you got, you're going you're gonna to be behind. So uh, Alex has given us some great examples of how they've been able to effectively implement some of these uh, machine learning techniques data analytic techniques to save $82 million a year. And that's tremendous work 
by you and your team, Alex. Give us an example of a setback you guys had and, and what you learned from it that has made you better. Okay. So I can go back again to the road project. When we mm-hmm. started that project, we actually had a lot of data. We started this with a pure data science team. And uh, at that time, and actually still, Today, data science was hot field. <laughs> As you know, data scientists were the sexiest job of 21st century. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. And we, have, we were actually really hungry to apply some of this advanced machine learning or data science to actually solve or identify those fraudulent providers. Pretty quickly, we actually realized that the outcomes that we were actually providing to our business partner were actually mostly wrong and not well received. So what we forgot in all that hype and excitement of doing data science is actually about our business partners and actually their needs. Yeah. It simply didn't occur to us that actually SAU investigators are not data scientists and we don't speak the same language. So we were actually talking about prediction performance of our models, the false alarm rate, standard deviations, and they simply were talking about, for example, what CPT procedures the doctors were doing, what kind of overall submitted amount they provided to us, what are the J codes and all this kind of stuff. We actually started to pay closer attention to what they want and what they need. We were trying to sit with them and understand the thought process behind the investigation. And we tried actually to incorporate that process into our analytics. And that's how we came up with that with those business rules, right? To capture the known fraud schemes first and then try to expand it. And that's how we structure our analytics around that kind of learning and actually our failure, initial failure. So as a major lesson for us, it was actually that you always need to listen what are the business needs from your business partner. You always need to keep them in the loop during the development of your overall analytical process and solution. And finally, you need to keep them in, in loop when you finally evaluate the results together because you need to align with all of this. What you do not need is actually you don't need necessarily to listen what to, when they tell you what you need to do because since they are not data scientists, they are not analytical people, they may not have a good kind of view what is possible from the analytical point of view. Mm-hmm. So basically, I believe that the role of the data scientist or data scientist unicorn would be actually to understand what the business problem is, to figure out what is the right data sources to chase, to figure out what is the right analytical solution, and also how to deploy that solution. And that's basically, I believe, the biggest role of data scientists. It's not, it's not just a technical person. It's much more than that. And that's why many people are referring to data science unicorns. Love it. No, I think it's a great, great example and a, and a great story. Yeah, it gets exciting, right? You get technologies like these. And then when the rubber meets the road, theory yeah. needs to mesh with mm-hmm. the front line. <laughs> and so yeah, you're, true, true. Yeah, Very you're, true. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I've had the privilege of talking to a lot of really smart folks like yourself, Alex, that are just brilliant with these technologies, data scientists. And, and yeah, it's that, that meeting of the theory with the, with the rubber at the road. And it uh, sounds like you guys did a really great job of recovering and, and hence the success mm-hmm. of the project. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right there. What would you say one of your proudest leadership experiences has been to date? I think uh, when we were doing the fraud, waste, and abuse detection, we started, as I mentioned, doing a fraud detection. But as a natural extension of this work, we actually started to worry about provider efficiency, provider quality of care, and the waste in general. So in addition to actually addressing waste and abuse and all these kind of bending the rules, incorrect payments, we actually started to look, what is the whole journey that our members 
have when they go through the treatment for a particular health problem, for example, cancer, obesity, or something else. So we were actually trying to collect all the claims that they had during that process. We tried to understand what is that treatment path they are going through and whether healthcare providers are using the most efficient treatments available or they are trying to do some kind of unnecessary services. So what we actually developed was a pretty cool way of visualizing those treatment paths. We were able to actually immediately notice all possible deviations from that standard treatment paths. And in addition, when we incorporated the members' health conditions, we were actually able to see actually how we can provide the combinations to the doctors based on this kind of data, which I call like a data-driven recommendations. What is that optimal or personalized healthcare? What we can do, because not every person will need the same care, right? So basically right. by doing this analysis, by looking all these people who went through this process, and if you are a health insurance company, you have a millions of claims and millions of people, and by doing this analysis, you really have the capability to look what works for what person. And based on this combination, you'll be able to recommend this to the doctor. There is no need for doctor anymore to wait for a journal article to see what kind of new techniques are there. We can all be in that position. We can try to look at the data. We can try to see what's working and what's not working and be able to recommend this to our members. So this is something that I was really proud that we were able to develop. And we are actually trying to address this kind of providing optimal personalized care to our people, trying to actually at the same time be more cost effective. And in the same time, we were actually be able to actually to optimize the network, our networks by actually eliminating those inefficient healthcare providers. But also we were able to address through this historical analysis, we were able to address very important problem in healthcare, which is cost transparency, mm -hmm. because very often people do not know how much money they will pay. If you take into consideration the member characteristics, if you know the uh, characteristics of the doctor, you will be pretty much able to figure out how much the members will pay at the end of the treatment, something that does not exist today. And then these analytics are shared with the member when they're making a decision of who to go to? Yes, they could be shared with the member. They can make decision based on the quality of care provided by the, by, by the doctor. They can make decision based on the cost they have to pay at the end, and they can make decision whether these providers are in network or not. Love it. Super useful. Yes, yes. Although I, I think this is great. I'm really proud that my team was able to kind of do this kind of work. And I believe this is really great opportunity there to extend this work as well. And it gets back to what you said at the beginning of our, of our interview, Alex, about the consumerism coming into mm -hmm. healthcare, right? I mean, with exactly. large deductibles and, and just more and more of the financial burden being shouldered by the individual, you're going to have to start doing these types of things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And actually, there will be more and more, especially for a new generation, for millennials, they are yep. more kind of sensitive to the money and how much they pay. And this will be more and more important things that we need to take care and we need to consider. Love it, man. Great example. Definitely one to be proud of. What about an exciting project that you're focused on today? So I think the, the one that I just mentioned is definitely the <laughs> very exciting okay. at the yeah. moment. Oh, and uh, I think we are proud of that. And as I mentioned, I think this is probably the best way to improve the healthcare outcome in some way, actually to improve the overall health, better engage with our members, because this is a unique way to show actually our members that they are not just here to pay their bills. We are actually here through the whole journey with them, because we could be there when recommending what doctors to take. We could be there when actually recommending what treatments to take because we could provide the same kind of recommendations to them and to doctors so they can have informed discussion with the doctor. 
And also we can help them actually with uh, how much money that whole treatment would be. So I think better engaging with our members is something that we are really trying to do to improve that kind of overall satisfaction of our members. And the final goal, we want to actually have our member healthier because at the end, we will make more money by doing that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, this is really good stuff, uh, Alex. Appreciate you sharing that. Getting close to the end of the interview here, let's pretend you and I are building a leadership course on what it takes to be successful in healthcare, the ABCs of Alex. And so it's a mini syllabus, lightning round style. I'm going to ask you five questions followed by a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What is the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? I will probably reiterate myself again. I think best way to improve the outcomes is to use data-driven or evidence-based in medicine, leverage all the data that we have available. I know in healthcare that's not quite possible yet, but if we are able to share all these data from all these different hospitals, from all these healthcare insurers, we would be able to have enormous knowledge of what's going on, what's working, what's not working, and what's basically what's efficient. I think data is the basically new actually oil for the healthcare industry. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? I think biggest mistake would be to work alone and come to quick conclusion without consulting other healthcare players or your colleagues or business partners. Love it. How do you stay relevant despite constant change? Learning, learning, learning. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the, that's the only way because both fields, both healthcare and big data analytics are changing so fast that you mm -hmm. definitely have to read a lot to see what's going on. You're probably aware there are so many healthcare startups that are doing different things and, and trying to address basically different healthcare needs. So basically by, staying, by trying to learn more, you will definitely stay relevant. What's one area of focus that drives everything in your organization? I believe member engagement, how to put members in a central place and help them basically live healthier life. So the, the last question that I have here is a two-part question. What is your mm -hmm. number one health habit and what is your number one success habit? Number one health habit is probably to have 10,000 steps every day. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm not very physically active, except I'm running after my kids. That's the only period that's I have, good. but that's pretty good. <laughs> right, often. That's really uh, so good. So I'm usually... Uh, successful in doing this. I think if, you, if your body is active, you don't need to do actually all these kind of physical exercises and everything. It's just important not to be like sitting all the day. Sedentary. Um, yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. So that's basically uh, regarding my health habit. And of course, I have three things that I usually tell people. Sleep well, eat healthy, and try not to be exposed to stress, uh, stress too much. <laughs> Love it. No, yeah. it's a great, it's great ones. And, and regarding the... Yeah, yeah, success habit. Success habit. Try to dedicate some time for yourself because it's a good one. Uh, you will have always time to meet with other people, but you rarely have time to be with yourself. And actually, if you want to really do something great, you really need to focus on something. And that's basically when you're alone. That's basically what I'm always trying to do, to dedicate a few hours of my day just to do something for myself. Love that. Alex, I love that. I believe it and practice it. It's so, so key. Folks, you could find this uh, mini syllabus as well as a full transcript links to the uh, things that we've discussed. Go to outcomesrocket.health and in the search bar, type in Alex Lazarevich or type in yeah. Etna and you'll find this episode. It'll come up. What book would you recommend to the listeners? 
When I was younger, actually, my favorite author was Hermann Hesse. And one of my favorite books from him was Siddhartha. It's actually it's a spiritual journey of a young man during the time of when Buddhism appeared. Recently, I don't have time to read that much as I would like, but it's absolutely must for all people. However, I still spend some time with my kids reading some of the children's books. And one of my favorites there is actually The Lorex by Dr. Seuss. And I think even <laughs> adults can learn a lot from that book. I love it. I love it. The Lorax. That's great. Uh, Lorax and Siddhartha, folks, get those on your reading list. Alex, before we conclude, I'd love if you could just uh, share a closing thought and then the best place where the listeners could follow you or get in touch. So, okay, the best place to get in touch with me is definitely LinkedIn. I still keep my personal website on my old university, University of Minnesota. So if you just type my name on Google, you will find me. Final thoughts is that Healthcare is finally ready for disruption. And I believe that big data analytics, machine learning, or some people would even say AI would play a significant role there. So that would be my really final thought. Love it, Alex. Hey, keep up the great work. Uh, really, really appreciate you uh, sharing your thoughts here today and, uh, and definitely looking forward to staying in touch. Thanks again. Thank you, Saul. I really enjoy our conversation. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Outcomes Rocket podcast. Be sure to visit us on the web at www.outcomesrocket.com for the show notes, resources, inspiration, and so much more.